Good morning, church. It is uh, good to be together in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I, di- I didn't raise my hand either way on the snow thing because uh, I'm not quite where Tim is and I'm not quite where some of you are. I think uh, my longer driveway to blow the snow off of uh, makes it uh, less attractive when there's a lot of snow to move. And uh, we live on top of a hill, which means ice and snow always make it fun when you're top. There's only one way down, and it's either sliding or driving, uh, or a combo. I- I'm not sure if you all here at East Pete know what you have in a, in a worship team, but you have an incredible gift. Um, Maybe sometimes you fight against it because it's not exactly what you're used to. Um, Maybe sometimes uh, there's other things there that I'm not aware of, but one of the things that has been such an incredible blessing for me coming here is to regularly encounter the presence of God as the worship band, the worship team leads us in that presence. Thank you, Josh, especially for the work you do, but for all the team. Um, As we flowed through the worship set, uh, particularly in the goodness of God, which has been a song I've been soaking in this week. Katrina and I were back a couple of times this week just talking about that song, and I said, well, I think we, maybe we should sing it Sunday. She said, it's already in the set. Josh already has it in. I'm like, okay. Um, but as we flowed from that into God is so good, you know, kind of going back a couple of eras, um, but the sense of the seamless flow between those, but also the sense of the volume rising in the, in, among us, maybe because it's a little more familiar for all of us, but I just felt this delight in my spirit from the Lord, and I felt like the Lord wanted to say to you that He was delighted, is delighted with your worship. Worship in song, worship in heart, worship in being together, in spite of the circumstances, whatever they might be, snow, pandemic, all the things we're trying to work at. But I felt like the Lord just simply said, He delights, He delights, He delights. And you're coming and offering your worship to the Lord. Because he sees our hearts. And he's inviting us in that place. And, and, and so I just, I'm just so grateful this morning. In fact, we pause here at the beginning and we just say, God, more than anything else we do today, we want to honor you and your presence here. Your presence here, and I point to my body because you're in me and in each one of these brothers and sisters here. And no matter where we are similar or different on any particular issue, you call us to unity in the body of Christ and to a way in which we respond that represents your heart. Today, as we are in your presence and in your word, I ask, Lord, that you would unveil things that we've not seen before, that you would give us new eyes to see, that you would give us clarity that the conviction of your spirit, which is not one that feels harsh or unkind or unloving, but is very direct, would come and begin to reveal the places you want to speak to each one of us, which is different, because each one of us is unique to you. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you and honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today is the last message uh, on this Clarity series. Um, 
and maybe you're about, you're about done with this bishop who just keeps hammered away, or you're like, enough already. Um, but uh, you get one more, at least for now. Um, the first, in the first series, I talked about the, the, the definition of clarity and talked about it in the following way, a way of seeing, listening, and hearing. They're two different things. You can listen, you can hear and not listen. So that hearing-listening combo, seeing, listening, hearing, and perceiving in the Spirit with keen sensitivity regarding what God is doing in this time. So that sense that there's something God's doing in this time, he's inviting us to place and a place to put on the lenses of the Spirit to see what he is seeing and perceive what he is doing and not necessarily reading it through the lens of my own experience, my limitations, my own wounds. We all do that. And I also noted that the primary focus in this clarity thing is not on gathering more information or more intellectual understanding. It's not that those are bad, but at the heart of revelation is something that transforms us from the inside out, not because we learn new information, but because we encountered the Spirit of God in the midst of something that was said, something that happened, something that was stirred in us, and we receive it in to allow God to do that work of transformation in us. It really truly is, clarity is about forming, God forming and shaping our hearts, our attitudes, our character. You see, clarity isn't more information. Clarity is seeing with God's eyes, which begins to audit everything in here. Everything. And identifying the places we fall short of living as a kingdom example of what it means to be lovers of God and thus lovers of everyone else. And so God is forming and shaping our hearts, our attitudes, our character, so that his glory might be expressed through our obedience to him. You see, where we are experiencing the manifest glory of God in our lives, it's actually going to emanate out. Now, I'll, I'll never forget a particular uh, Christmas Eve service, I think it was, uh, where we did uh, something around the whole thing of glory bearers, and Barry, Brenda had that image of, of just light shining out from us and we had this whole plate that everybody put a, a, a little you know light on and we carried around this tray with that sense of the glory of God emanating out we're bearers of God's glory but the glory shines most brightest when we get out of the way and in a sense our own agenda gets out of the way and what comes out is only the essence of God living in us the very nature and character of God The reality is that when we have just knowledge about God, but we don't truly know God, we fall into the patterns of human endeavor, behavior modification, and religious activity. And we could name more, but those be three ways of saying it. Human endeavor, behavior modification, and religious activity. I'm just going to try to be a better follower of Jesus. On the Dr. Phil line, I'll just say to you, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? How is that trying to be a better person as a part of be modifying your behavior? How's that working? How's that working in the church? Because the truth is, this is about a power of God coming and transforming us from the inside out. And the essence of transformation is not my effort, it is my surrender. We talked about that earlier. 
You know, Timothy warned us about people having, to be, having been taken over by the trap, this trap of the enemy, and he said people who have a form of godliness but deny the power therein. And Paul talked about it in the church in Galatians. He wrote about this struggle of living by the Spirit and going back to living by the law and losing our freedom. In fact, he uses the words, at least one fairly strong translation, a good one, says, who bewitched you? How did you get birthed in the Spirit and go back to the law trying to get it right by doing it all right. Where did this tricking happen? To walk in the Spirit, to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. And so the focus of these messages have been on the formation of godly character within us. You and I cannot do this on our own will power. It doesn't mean we give up and we don't try. It's simply saying we're allowing God's power to be placed within our surrender our will to surrender, and allowing God to do the changing from the very inside. It must be the work of the Spirit of God living within us and our surrendering our will to that transforming power of God. And so we've been using this equation. Again, I'm going to go through some of this stuff fairly quickly because we've been talking a while. The presence, the purity, the passion, purpose, and now today posture equals the glory of God because when there's transformation here, you know what? Glory shines in and out through you and me. The equation, again, is about God forming and shaping us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about those first four, presence, purity, passion, and purpose, in, the, in these first four weeks, and today we're going to focus on posture. Before we dive into the topic today, I want to do a brief review of those first four, simply because these, this isn't a one-off series where we're done with this. <laughs> in some ways, my sense has been this is setting the tone and the context for 2021 and beyond about what God wants to do among us as a people. And so we don't get done and graduate with a series. We get it planted in our spirits, and the Spirit of God keeps working it over. Kind of like working over soil. It gets turned over again, and like, whoa, I thought I was done. And there's something else God wants to do. Transforming, renewing us. And so presence, of course, is experiencing God's deep love and growing in my capacity to sense, know, and encounter God's presence in my daily life. We talked about that whole thing of, of 2021 being a place where we're growing in this practicing the presence. Where is God today? Where is God in the midst of the task in front of you, Jeremy, today and tomorrow? Dispatching 20 truck drivers and saying, God, give me wisdom. Is he with you in that? Absolutely. Does it always feel like it? No, because like you've got to make a call. And somebody's life's on the line because you have to make that call. Now, Jeremy and I had this conversation, he didn't give me permission to share that, but I think I'm okay saying that. That's, it's, that's practicing the presence. How is his presence in your and my life tomorrow and the next day just as real when we were standing here and we were singing, God is so good. God's so good tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And in that space, how are we allowing that practicing the presence to grow in our awareness of that as a fellowship? where we're actually sharing testimonies of that so that we grow together to be growing as a people of awareness of God's presence, that we're practicing it each week, each day, each hour. We talked about purity, purity that understanding and submitting to God's purifying work in our lives as his sons and daughters, and that the essence and the core of this is really that there is stuff in here that is selfish. Me, mine, my, and that 
gets bubbled to the surface, as we said, in the midst of those places where we get over the fire in the intensity of life, and it bubbles out. You know what? We've been in one of those bubbling cauldrons for about a year. I don't like what I see and feel in here because I identify the ways in which I respond doesn't produce the purposes of God. I don't like to do this and I don't like to do that. Nobody can tell me to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Wow, where did that come from? Does that sound like the kingdom of God? Well, it depends what it is. Well, let's, we have to find places to talk about that, to respond to that in the midst of God by his spirit at work. So when the heat is up, my agenda bubbles to the surface, the dross, and the spirit of God skims it away. So that one, you and I and all of us can agree on, it's not going to be done through one sermon. That's a journey that we'll continue to walk on, and we can invite one another to in that place. We talked about passion, growing into understanding of what it looks like to surrender our whole being, body, soul, and spirit, to the authority of Jesus. And in understanding that whole place of surrender, surrender or the, the, the place of, of true passion, is the willingness to suffer for what you love. It's what God did, what he modeled for us. What am I willing to die for? What will I surrender my whole being to? That passion, being willing to suffer for what we love. And lastly, last week we talked about purpose. Committing to follow God uh, is to a purpose to obey and to completely obey to what God is speaking to us. Because in that context, it does mean laying down my right to defend myself, which I love to do. All of us love to do. All we, we're, sometimes we're just waiting on a, little, on a little bully pulpit. Okay, someone pushed me, someone challenged me, and I'm going to come back with a sharp right. Really Anabaptist and Mennonite there. I say Mennonites and Anabaptists teach a theology of being peacemakers in a lot of ways, but our language and the way we respond is very, very violent. It doesn't express the love of God. It defends positions. It defends what I think and whatever those things are. I often say this. I'm getting off my notes, but I'll just say this because the Spirit brought it back to me as a recognition. I was discipled in the context of what it means that we're called, I say disciple, I was taught growing up what it meant to be a peacemaker, active, but what I mostly was modeled by people was being a peacekeeper. Make the problem go away. If we hide it under the table, it probably won't be here, right? We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to address it. And actually, the, the context of being peace, those who make, make peace is that we have to find ways that our agenda gets stripped away because if our agenda comes into that place, we're not going to be good at making peace. Because <laughs> my perspective, my opinion, my preference is going to come out and I'm going to put up my hands emotionally, verbally, and I'm going to come back at you, Josh, because you don't agree with me. <laughs> That's back again to the purity, bubbling up to the surface, God bringing it, saying, do you want to walk in a place where I'm going to skim that off or do you want to stay where you're at? Do I want to stay where I'm at? And so in that context, there's that defending ourselves at times being misunderstood by others, but also in, in our context being at peace before God, saying, God, I'm trusting in you in this place, in this space to lead me. And in that sense, that surrender and obedience is that I'm willing to say with purpose and with passion like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it's possible, Lord, take this particular, this particular difficulty away, but it's not my will but yours that I want to be done in this context.
So that brings us to this kind of critical last part of the equation. I say critical for me because it's the one that's being formed in me in this last season in a special way, maybe over the last three years, but especially in the, in the season of COVID. And a very important part of this equation, especially because we've got the polarized context in what we live in today. And so, in some ways, all we have to do is say polarization and COVID and something rises up in us, reactions, emotions. So I just want to pause and ask the Lord right now to take us to a different perspective before we listen to the next, next piece. Lord, this morning, we acknowledge that we live in a space and place where a lot of what we do is just about listening for more information or more intellectual understanding. The last thing we read, the last thing we heard, the last thing that started an emotion in us, and that now becomes our, in a sense, our guide and our direction. We're not so much trusting or leading from a place of wanting to know what you're saying. We're trying to figure out what we want something to be and then finding the information to back that up. We confess, Lord, that we are at a place where we need you desperately. We ask for the eyes of our hearts to be opened, to truly see, to see what you're doing and to engage with you in what it is that you're calling us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite us to uh, the, the Amplified Bible passage from 1 Peter three fifteen. It says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy and acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives. So setting Christ apart as Lord, but that really means that he is holy because he's Lord. You acknowledge who he is and you are giving him first place in your lives. Always be ready to give a logical defense to the one who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance that's elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now this is, Amplified is actually one of the best translations word for word for what's there. It's not just a concept. This is like one of the best word-for-word translations. And it says, when you're doing this, when there's a place to respond, whatever you're doing, you're doing it with gentleness and respect. How, how are we doing with that, folks? How is the American church doing with that right now? Do you see a lot of gentleness and respect kind of bouncing around? You're allowed to respond more than just kind of stare and, you know. It, yeah, it, it, it's not. We're not doing well with this thing. And there's a whole world that's watching us and saying, oh, that's all you got? And you're inviting me to something? This is something I should be excited about emulating a following? This is a verse about posture. The posture of our heart, the attitude of our heart in which we speak and act. And it's a foundational posture of heart in which we must live if we're going to represent God well. This is what disciples, better translation, followers, followers of Jesus, what disciples are, what a follower of Jesus is. And it's what Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says when he says that we're ambassadors of God. Now, we're not jumping here yet, Derek. I'm going to just hold on a second. But recognizing, um, go back to the first Peter, uh, thank you. Sorry about that, but just in this context, God has chosen to reveal himself through us. And we have to ask that question, how are we doing in our representing of God? In the midst of our own struggles, 
emotions, responses that are boiling inside and maybe boiling down low because they're not really over the heat of God. <laughs> they just keep on, I can say sometimes the gift that keeps on giving, but it doesn't sound like a gift. <laughs> it's the emotion or whatever that keeps giving, but it doesn't allow it to come over the purposes of God and to bring it to the top and to skim it away. And so our first task is really in our hearts to set Christ apart as Lord, acknowledging him, giving him first place in our lives. And again, we're back to the passion thing. Not so much growing in our understanding of what it looks like to truly surrender, but surrendering. And then when anybody asks us a reason for the hope that's in us, what God's doing, that we respond, but we do it with gentleness and respect. Can we do that, church? I'm going to get a little more response out of the man. Somebody could say amen, but you don't have to. Are we going to do that, church? That's what we ask you, God, to help us because we're not doing well. But the one who gives us the ability to do all things through him and also for the building of the church, he can do it in us. To do it with gentleness and respect. And that reality is that in that context, this is a posture verse for us and that thing of being ambassadors of, the, of this message. This message that God so loved the world. Auditing what we do and saying, is what we're doing and saying demonstrating to the world that we love them? And some people say, well, now, now you're on this love chapter thing where you're like, just love everything and it doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't, no. It starts with love. The only way there's a place to speak truth into a context is because there is a love relationship, a care, a gentleness, a respect. And then people are like, you love me no matter what, don't you? And the response is, that's my desire, but it only comes because of a God who loved me first, loved us first. Is the world seeing God's love shining through us? Are we being good ambassadors? And now you can click to the next one, Derek. Sorry about that. But that reality in that context is this passage out of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted and joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he, she is a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. But all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable, acceptable to him, and gave us the ministry of recon reconciliation, so that by our example, we might bring others to him. And then continuing on, bringing others to him, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is restoration to favor with God, committing to us that ministry of reconciliation. So we are, what does it say? Ambassadors for Christ. As Christ's representative, ambassador for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. Wham! We're it. 
Not that God's limited, but He's chosen for us to be the conduit through which this good news is demonstrated. And I'll ask again, how are we doing, church? How are we doing, America? This Christian nation that we say we are, how are we behaving in such a way that people are saying, you know what, I want to be reconciled to this God too. not a message about condemnation here. That's not why I'm sharing it. In fact, what I often say is what breaks my heart is a church that hasn't entered into her fullness of what she's called to be. I call it the impotent church. We can talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit working and all these things of the demonstrations, which would be more the charismatic church. I've been in that stream. I understand that and actually have walked in that. But I look at it and I say so many times what's lacking is the, the power of the Spirit that transforms the individual first and then through that demonstrates to the world what it looks like to know a God of love. And I don't think we're doing very well. We're far more stuck on our perspectives, our attitudes, our bully pulpits, and far less surrendered than God desires. And his love is still great toward us and toward the whole world. The posture in which we approach, approach people must represent the very character and nature of God. Brothers and sisters, this is critical. We cannot be ambassadors, true ambassador, ambassadors, if what comes out of us isn't the heart of God. We just can't do it. And yet, Paul clearly defines our call, our task. The posture of our hearts is that of an ambassador, which means that we, first and foremost, have been reconciled to God, that we willingly go to the heat and say, God, purify my heart. Get rid of the stuff, my stubbornness, my own attitudes, my unwillingness to change. Turn up the heat, Lord, because I want the things that block your love flowing through me to the world, I want them removed so the world can see you for who you really are. And you've said that I, that we are your ambassadors and you're making your appeal to the world through us. The truth is our very nature must be transformed. It has to be made new. Our attitudes, our words, our posture must be like that of Jesus. And how did Jesus treat people? How did he love people? What was his posture when he walked with people here on this earth? It demonstrated love again and again and again. He hung out with the people on the margins, in the bars, with the sinners. I'm not very good at that. Just going to confess it. I'm just not very good at that. I can preach up here about this stuff, but I'm not great at that. I can grow a lot in that area. But what did Jesus do? How did he, what did he demonstrate to us? We're going to, as we're planning, Derek and I and others on the bridge team are working at the, at the Lent series, and really some of this stuff is really looking through the lens of Jesus' life and saying, what, what did Jesus do? What can we learn from the way in which Jesus was engaged? And I want us to understand how God might be inviting us to be reconciled to him afresh. That's the start to this, is to understand how God wants to do that, so that we can with great love and compassion, allow a broken and hurting world to see what God 
really looks like. What God really is. And that they're not primarily getting their definition of what that is from the media or for that matter from the church and what the church has led them to believe. We need a new posture as a church. I'm not talking about East Pete. I'm talking about something in a broader context. And so posture, we're now into that last one. Uh, Again, I don't even have definitions all these times. Sometimes it's just a statement about them. But a condition of one's heart that is pledged to minister, and if I could add something in, and I'll name this later in our response time, to minister God's reconciling love to everyone, even our enemies. And at its core, this posture is about humility, meekness, hospitality, and love. That's the heart of the gospel. You think about loving our enemies and some of the stories that we have as a part of the Anabaptist movement and the places where people came against those who had, in a sense, taken a stand against what established church was doing. And in that context, they had to pay a price. Some of them were imprisoned. But reaching out and they demonstrated in that context hospitality and love even for their enemies, their persecutors the ones who were coming against. They didn't change that attitude. You're coming against me. I don't like the way you're talking. And you know what? You don't even have it right. You don't understand who God is. Instead of coming that way, they loved them into the kingdom, not argued them into the kingdom. Wow. That's a little maybe wake-up call for the church here in North America. What is our love like? You think of the terms humility and meekness, and I know I've preached them here before, but I always use these layperson definitions in that humility is being known for who you truly are, nothing more, nothing less. You're not faking. You're who you are. You discover who you are, how? First and foremost, by coming into that reconciling power of God. When that reconciling power of God comes in, it changes us. We begin to realize, you know what? Who I was isn't really who I was. It's this. That's humility. It's not saying, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just a little Mennonite. I can't do nothing. That's not humility. That's false humility. It's saying, this is who God's gifted me to be. And I'm learning how to live that place. But from a place of meekness. And meekness, the uh, best definition I know of that is strength under control. There's all these gifts inside. You got, you know, I, like, I like hanging out with Josh. We get together every once in a while and, and, and interact and just... Um, Josh is almost like in the stable all the time. You know, he's like a horse. Go, 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 go. You you know him, don't you? But meekness says it's all there, but Josh's desire more than anything else is to say, Lord, I want to run ahead of you. I want to go for it with what you got me, but I want your harness to be on me and hold me in this place so that I only go at your bidding, not just because I can, but because you've called and you've invited me to that place. One of the things about humility is the concept Brenda and I often talk about. It's a posture of heart called go low. Go low. I'm not talking about the limbo thing or anything like that. It's just go low. Because what it says is when somebody else comes in high and attacks or whatever, what offsets that is you saying, that's okay. I can adapt to that. And you don't do it arrogantly. You might not even say anything. You're just like, you know what? It's okay. I can take the place that's a low position. I can, in a sense, give in because, you know what? This isn't my home. 
this isn't what matters to me. What matters is that the very way I represent God and that I'm an ambassador for God is that people see the posture of Jesus in me and the way I respond, the way we respond. Reggie McNeil, a mission church innovator, says it this way, and he's talking about this whole thing of posture, and he takes posture and pits it against this thing of taking a stand. He compares these two in this way. He says, taking a stand is to stake a claim, create an argument, and in the academic sense of argument, not a fight, stating a position, almost with an undercurrent of aggression or defensiveness. And usually, excuse me, usually persons take a stand in response to something, and currently, the church in, in, in North America or U.S. is being asked to take stands on issues, take a stand for this, take a stand for certain doctrines and theological, biblical teachings, and even on issues of polity. The question I ask is, what kind of fruit is that producing? Are seekers seeing Jesus and the kingdom through this, or are they seeing something else? Posture, on the other hand, we've talked about it, is, is, is about humility, about hospitality and love, and the posture is a posture of openness, not a standing against something. Being known for what we are for rather than what we're against. We're for love. Love in the sense of caring for people and for everyone, no matter where they're at, no matter what circumstances they may be in. You know what? Somebody that you might judge because their lifestyle, where they're at, is totally different than where you're at. You don't even know what they've been through. But because of religious context and the, what, we have, what we've been framed in, we almost feel like we have a right to judge them where they're at. But we only have this little window, and it's probably littler than we realize now, some of you already said that the bishop's gone off the deep end now. He has no standards, no nothing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love. The posture of love, the engagement relation with people, the honoring of people for who they are, not ostracizing because they're in a different place. And if the Spirit of God wants to keep on transforming me, and He is, then it starts by encountering a God of love and then allowing people to be on a journey in that place of love for God to transform and change them rather than saying, this is the equation you have to be at or do or else we can't connect with you. We can't love you. It's interesting that uh, Jesus' posture and the context in that thing, the only thing that, in a sense, he took a stand against was, was with the religious leaders of the day for being too rigid, too legalistic, and not open enough to the things that God was doing. In fact, God was doing the coming of the kingdom because Jesus came and was among them, and they couldn't even see it because of the religious trappings that were there. What about us today? I'm going to close in the context of Galatians 5 and uh, the context we call the passage of the, of, the, of the fruit of the Spirit, but first I'd like to share this example when you're being squeezed, what kind of juice is coming out of you? What kind of fruit is coming out when you're getting squeezed? Because when you get squeezed, if the response and the reaction is not spirit fruit, it means that there's still stuff in here that has to be held over the purifying altar for God to work in it. And all of us are there. Every one of us at some level is at that place. What kind of juice comes out when you're under pressure? Is it a sweet, nutritious juice from ripe, healthy fruit, or is it bitter, sour, or tasteless from unripe or bad fruit in our lives? You see, 
if our character is being transformed by Jesus through his presence, his purifying work in our lives, through his passion and purpose flowing through us, then the posture of our heart will be to minister God's love to everyone, even those from a different political party, a different culture or race, a different denomination or religion. We love them all with that sweet love of God, that fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The good news of Jesus will flow through our lives, especially in the times of pressure and uncertainty to everyone that we come in contact with. That's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus style. Well, again, we'll talk more about that looking at some of Jesus' life during Lent and specific examples. So my brothers and sisters, when you're being squeezed, ask yourself that question. What juice, what fruit comes out of your life? This is foundational to our witness as Jesus' followers. We're going to close with uh, Galatians 5, reading from the NIV, contrasting, in a sense, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh gratifies what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are, not in, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Yeah, check, yeah, we all know all those are bad. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. None of those fit in the context of our nation right now. Actually, that was facetious if you caught that uh, there. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. They're kind of bracketed out. Here are the ones we know are really bad, and here are the ones that we don't know so are, ba- are so bad because they actually are among us. I warn you, as I did before, those, that, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. How do you get spirit fruit? What tree do you guys go, which grocery store do you go to buy the spirit fruit? Giant didn't have it. Weiss didn't have it. Even Stauffers didn't have it. Bless Stauffers, yeah. But in that context, we recognize the only place, if you go back to Isaiah, we're not going to talk about that, says when we need something, come by and eat, but you're coming because you're in the presence of the one who transforms and changes us and gives us. and it's formed in us over time, it's not a transaction. I'll do this for you, God, if you'll give me a little more patience. Now, God, I need patience, whatever it takes. Uh, Did I say that? Because usually he's going to actually provide context for the patience to be worked out. He's going to let you be in a place where he's forming in you. It's not a slot machine. 
that you put in 25 cents, or I guess $1.25 now, and get out what you want. It's surrender that is the currency in the exchange. And then it's up to him, the timing and the way in which he does it. It's not up to you or to me. We could talk a lot longer about this. I've uh, given you enough today in these last in this month of January probably to chew on for the year. And I say good, because I want us to chew on it for the year. Today, today's reflection uh, brings us back to these things that are, we talked about here. And I'm going to give you just uh, 30 seconds. I'll invite the worship team to come up in a second here, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to ponder these and then to maybe even jot a note down or something that's there, which by the way, anytime, Tracy or whatever, you're always free to use these if you want to send out assignments to people or the questions or whatever, so everybody doesn't have to write it down, totally okay with me. Not an assignment for you, I'm just saying it's totally okay. Um, so reflecting on these questions, overarching questions in this thing, what is, the pasture, what is the posture of your heart? When you're being squeezed, what kind of juice or fruit is coming out of you? To audit that. When it's there, say, okay, Lord, I want to learn. Show me. He'll show you this week if you ask him to. Because he'll let you be in a situation where you're going to see what kind of fruit comes out. Is your heart pledged to minister God's, and here I added that reconciling, to, uh, to minister God's reconciling love to everyone, even your enemy, whoever that enemy might be? And in what way might God be inviting you to grow in humility, meekness, and love? Let's just take 30 seconds in that. Worship team, you can come up, and, and I'll just, uh, when we, that th those 30 seconds are done, uh, we'll move into a closing song.